Spencer Brown for the Team of Brass. I'm Carson Sestouli. This is Fangraphs Audio. My guest on this edition of Fangraphs Audio is what one might call a contributing editor, a contributing editor to Fangraphs, formerly a longtime editor of LookoutLanding.com, Mariners SB Nation site, LookoutLanding.com. His name is Jeff Sullivan. At the beginning of his poem, To His Coy Mistress, 17th century English poet, Andrew Marvel submits that if there were both world enough and time, uh, that is world enough in time, he would love real hard on this lady who is the object of the poem. What follows is an example uh, of what might happen if two fangraph writers had both world enough and time. If there is love, it is of a more platonic variety, certainly, but it does exist, and what one finds in the end is a uh, is a conversation with Jeff Sullivan of some considerable length. A reasonable person might say, why is it necessary uh, to talk with Jeff Sullivan for that long, but an equally reasonable person might respond by saying, in fact, our time is not that valuable. So perhaps you side with one or the other of those arguments. Regardless of how you as a listener might feel about it, there is no disputing the fact that what falls is an hour plus conversation with Fangraph's Jeff Sullivan on Fangraph's audio, which begins right now. Hey, I'm recording. Uh, uh, just so you know. Yeah, I know. I was actually going to tell you. Hey, uh, maybe maybe try not recording right from the start. You know, just in case, just in case there are things to get off my chest. But yeah, uh, that that ship has sailed. Speaking of uh, <clears throat> getting things off your chest, I uh, my wife and I are currently in an Airbnb. We are currently uh, renting an Airbnb property, or I don't know whatever you yes. call it. And uh, there is – it's a two-bedroom apartment and also the bot- – the, we're in an upstairs apartment. The downstairs apartment or room or whatever of the, of the apartment is occupied by a, a young Italian man, I'd say maybe in his mid-20s. And uh, he walked he, – he was spending quite a bit of time in the kitchen topless yesterday and uh, we're just with my wife there. So – he was getting some stuff off his chest as well. Well, no, he he was not actively getting anything off his chest. He had gotten one thing off his chest, and <laughs> yeah, then he yeah. just uh, he never he never put it back. It used yeah, to bother me when uh, when my brother was in high school, and I was not, or maybe I was in high school. I was young. My brother was older, but when he was at home, he uh, he got to an age where he became comfortable uh, walking around in you know like gym shorts and shirtless. And granted, this is Southern California, so it was always uh, exceptionally warm. But it it made me uncomfortable at first, and uh, at second, and then he went to college. <laughs> yeah, so you never stopped. Yeah, you never stopped being uncomfortable. Yeah, no, he doesn't do that anymore. And I think I think it could be uh, because of this. And I'll throw my brother under the bus. Although I don't know, he could stop a bus. Uh, is he a big? At this he's, point, he's, but he's a big guy. Well, he's not. So uh, we've we have both been scrawny our whole lives. You know, like beanpole tall. Mm-hmm. And having some trouble putting on weight, and neither one of us is is really putting on weight. But he is a little older. He's gotten married. There's stereotypes and there's things that happen. And so my mom has always had, you know, those like those chair hammocks, like it's a hammock, but you can sit upright in it, sort of. Have you seen those? Right. Uh. Yeah. Okay. Sure. I. Yeah. I, yeah. I'm going well, with you. I'm with. I'm with you. 
Yeah, even if you don't know what they are, you know what they are. Yeah. So my mom's had one for a long time. She would keep it in her backyard, and uh, she has one at the house where she lives now. And over Christmas, my brother was home, and I was home, and I was in the kitchen uh, eating breakfast, and out back was my mom and my stepdad and my aunt. And my brother went out back to, uh, to eat his breakfast, and uh, the the rest of the family sitting at the at the table, the patio table outside. So we sat in the hammock chair, and I was eating my breakfast. I wasn't paying attention to them because I was paying attention to my own my own eating. Mm-hmm. You have to know where the spoon is going. And yep. then I uh, I heard a a noise, and then I heard <laughs> another noise, and I turned around, and my brother was on the ground, having having broken the hammock chair that he was sitting in. Yeah. And so it was just an on, it was just an onslaught. I've never been able to make fat jokes uh, for my brother my entire life. And the one time I called him Big Butt when I was like six is when my mom washed my mouth out with soap. For the oh first no, time. you got washed out for Big Butt. Big Butt. Well, I guess there's there's proportional curses, right? The age. There's a level. Of, like I can get yeah. away with saying Big uh, Butt the f word now. Yeah. When I'm at home, but when you're six, Big Butt. That's like it's yeah, big that's time. Thirteen. Yeah. Uh, and so the thing about the thing about fat jokes, right, is you can't you don't want to call attention to somebody who's who's really skinny because that can make them kind of uncomfortable. So you don't want to make weight jokes. And with people who are overweight, of course, you don't want to make fat jokes either because that can be uh, that can be a point of sensitivity. Right. But when you have somebody who's just like gaining weight but still more more thin than large, then that's the wheelhouse because then it's just like you can't possibly be offended by this, but you are skinny fat. Yeah, there, actually, there's. A, I think I was. <laughs> uh, I forget what it is, but uh, an Italian person recently introduced me to the uh, to the Italian. Ex- they, have, they actually have an expression for that. It's like malgro, mm. malgro something. Yeah, when you're fo- it was. It's essentially like faux thin, faux thin. I think you know, roughly what it is. Uh-huh. Um, was this brought up in reference to you? To <laughs> a certain podcast host? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, only a much prompting from my wife, though. She was like, "No, he's because yes. really, because people because I have uh, slender arms and legs, but uh, yeah, I'm um, developing elsewhere." Yeah, no. So your wife was like, "No, he's not actually. He's not actually yeah. that. No, thin. he's not You're that just fit. Not looking at the right place. Yeah, just yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's yeah. yeah. She does a lot of research to that end. Um, yeah, of uh." Of how you're not. So is this? I, I, let's get this out of the way now. Is yeah. this going to be a podcast where we do or do not talk about baseball? Uh, whatever happens. I mean, whatever happens. Why do you do you want to do? Well, I was going to ask you. I was going to ask you. I don't know. I had a question <clears throat> for you, Jeff Sullivan, <laughs> which uh, <laughs> pre- which is, uh, pertains to your best of the worst series. Yeah, yeah which I'm is relevant. Right. Which is relevant. Uh, at this moment, because I believe that you have started it and not finished it. Is that right? Yeah, they take so damn long. Uh, I remember the first time I did them, like uh, last year I debuted it, and the first ones were like, they're easy to write, cause, right? Because in theory it's just some GIFs, some images, whatever, and then you're done. But then every single time they get bigger and bigger because I want to try to do something to make them a little different, a little better, a little... Not just the same thing over and over, and so every single time becomes this increasing challenge. To now, each each one just occupies like a full day. I'm already having to delay this first part to tomorrow to publish because it just takes so damn long. And for what reason? Because people are just interested in the gifs anyway. So how hard could it or should it be? But yeah. I don't know. It's just now it's, listen it's with, daunting. with regard to do you know you said you're you're you've already decided to delay it till tomorrow. Is that right? Yeah, like I'll finish it. Yeah, it'll publish on uh, on Thursday. Thursday morning, yeah. 
Thursday morning or Thursday. Thursday. Yeah, Thursday. it'll publish Thursday morning, and then the second half will go up some later time Thursday. Was it supposed to go up today, Wednesday? Yeah, but, you know, Dave's traveling, and also it's not like timeliness matters, right? Because this is just... this is it's the Internet, yeah. Yeah. Now, do you have do you send him an email to say it's going to be late, or do you just did you just decide? I think at this point Dave operates under the assumption that all of my things will be late, but I did send him an. I, I don't know. He's traveling. He's not even looking at his computer anyway. Yeah, that's but great. I, I yeah. feel. Yeah, I feel it's important to let him know. Well, uh, that's good because I I sent him an email to tell him that the uh, the French Five was ready, which is a post I write every week, mm. and uh, yeah, then I it's uh, like oh it's gonna be ready in five minutes, and then I. Didn't get an email back from him, and then I just published it. And I said, uh-huh. "I hope I uh, didn't uh, hope I didn't break the site." That's what I said. <laughs> I don't think I did though. But I uh, know. Uh, it seems like it's still up there. The um, well, you do you do these every week though? Every uh, every month. Every month. You used to do them every week, which I assume. Was, yeah, that was right. But now you do them every month. Too much. Yeah, too much. It's a. Uh, do you find? Do you derive do you derive pleasure from them? I derive pleasure in the research and I derive pleasure in in the the sensation of, of clicking publish, but the middle at this point <laughs> is just uh it's it's overwhelming to the extent that I I've pretty much always written things for as long as I've written anything, even like assignments, I've pretty much always written things in one sitting. And I think this is the kind of thing where it's not healthy to actually write them in one sitting. You you just need to take breaks, but I don't have the attention span to do so. Is it because uh well here's another here's one thing. Like I know that the part for me, the part of the brain uh with which I will like will do research and definitely with which um I capture video and render that video into GIFs is a different part of my brain than the one that to the extent that I'm capable of writing amusing prose or even coherent prose, um, th- that's that's a different part of my brain. And I'm wondering uh, if that's the case for you or or not, because obviously you you write a number of uh, you write a number of pieces that involve require some sort of re- research, and you also write a number of pieces that uh, involve uh, video footage. Uh, yeah, it feels like almost everything at this point. Things are, they, posts are getting more and more complicated is what I'm finding, which is, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but I do, I do sense that, uh, I, I have only so much, to, because I have to write two things a day, uh, there's only so much time to really spend on, on one post in particular, and so I do, uh, share the same sense as you where the, the brain has different parts that specialize in different areas, but I have, I, I, can't really afford to take a long break like a to reset the brain in between analysis and writing and so what ends up coming out is just more analytical writing style and i think that is a change i've observed in myself that i am i'm not necessarily wild about but it is what it is yeah and it comes with uh with the job and you know in the weaker moments you get down on yourself for for the way that you write but uh then you get a paycheck and you think well now i can have dinner <laughs> Uh, and I like dinners most of the time. <laughs> yeah, right. It is one of, uh, I don't know if dinner per se is a requirement, but it's, um, you gotta, I mean, I, at some point I think it, the human body stops functioning at, I'm not even talking about like peak, it's not even peak performance, but even reasonable performance if you, if you're not eating. 
Yeah, it would be interesting. I wonder. I would. For I assume. Our wait, sake, you might, you know uh, something about this? Did you study chemistry or something? I, I didn't study physiology, and I certainly never studied hunger strikes. But it would be interesting <laughs> to see a baseball team that went on a hunger strike for, I don't know, maybe they're kept in deplorable hotel conditions. Just you know, just to kind of drive them up the wall, just to kind of push them in like a coerced hunger strike, right? Like baseball yeah. would just have to choose a team to be like, let's piss this team off, so they have no options other than going on a strike. We're gonna. I've been watching Orange is the New Black, and so uh, then it would be interesting to like, right? You take the the blended zips and steamer projections, and then you compare performance while uh, deathly hungry yeah. to expected performance, and then it would be like, no, you don't regress to the projections when they're literally dying on the field, right, Dave? Like you are too we, wet. We have new information. Yeah. yeah, we have new information. They haven't eaten for a <laughs> month and a half. Like, yeah. actually, they've had to call up the minor leaguers because the other players are dead. Right. It, the, yeah, yeah, then, de- yeah de- dead is, uh, that's going to hurt your steamer projection anyway. <laughs> well, it depends. Yeah. It depends on whether Uni Escobetancourt has died. Well, actually, it's, it's interesting. A player could die, right? But it takes a certain oh. amount of time. Or, you know, a certain, there's a certain size of sample for even for death, right, to influence both the steamer and the zips projections because <laughs> it's integrating what, like it's like five three one or something weighted for the last three years or five years. Or yeah, so in the- a player a player <laughs> dead for two and a half years in theory would be projected to still come up with the occasional knock. Right, especially um, if it was a really good player, but, like if Mike Trout died, uh, even in a couple of years, you still think, well, maybe an average player we have here. <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> and and I guess, but uh, if you want to take this to, to an extreme, which I guess we already have, yeah. if you do have a, a dead player, that player, if he were permitted to, to be in the in the batter's box with a bat in his vicinity, mm-hmm. he would uh, draw walks, even if propped up entirely upright from time to time, he would walk, mm-hmm. even even despite being dead. I mean, he wouldn't he wouldn't walk walk right. He's not Jesus. No, but he's he would, not. Yeah, right. He would he would. Yeah. Uh, it passively draw four four balls prior to three strikes. Well, I know Those that uh, just, yeah. occasionally with Dave Cameron, we talked about uh, players who would benefit from either swinging less or maybe not swinging. Um, uh-huh. And uh, certainly a dead person uh, would be, that's the sort of, that's the logical conclusion, right? Of that, of that particular question, <laughs> how good I, someone is, it, does, it doesn't mean he's not tempted to swing because he's dead. Yeah. 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 How good could a dead player be at baseball? And as it happens, I think last offseason I wrote something about this, right? On Fangraphs, like how good could he be if you literally never swung? Which is essentially, you're not dead, but you're playing the part of someone who is dead. Right. And like, I, who, like I, the guy who played you, Bernie and weakened at Bernie's. Not dead. Yeah. But convincing, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> And, like, you can sort of get a workaround if you look at, like, uh, 3-0 counts against pitchers at the plate. Like, those should be automatic strikes, right? Or, like, 3-0 counts with the bases loaded or something. And so you can find situations where pitchers should want nothing more than to just groove a pitch, uh, unafraid of the consequences. And you'll never be perfect with this because there are always some consequences with the player who's not literally dead right. in the box. But, well, also, uh, then also it should be noted, of, too, right? And I don't know if, how this affects it, but 3-0 counts... Isn't isn't that like the most liberal strike zone as well? Yeah, and granted, it's also going to be selective for pitchers who might be a little wild in the moment. So you know, there's it gets complicated. But no, you'll never be able to like test for how an actual dead player would do in baseball. But this is this is a workaround. It's science. 
So here's a question I'm going to pose to you. you know, well, Let's take wait, a, wait, no, hold because, on one second. All right, well, I'll make okay, a note of what I was going to say. No, no, you go, you go. No. Okay, fine. We're going to do this. So who do you think, who's the best home run hitter in baseball? <clears throat> wait, all right. Do, like, so wait, do, do, is this like, if, if this person <laughs> had, well, it's two questions for me, because is this a person who, if, if he had 550 plate appearances, would hit the most home runs? Or is it the person who has the best home run power on contact? Uh, uh, let's go with the, what, let's go with the second one. The best power on contact. Is that Stanton? Is that Springer? Is that Abreu? Let's say Stanton. That's fine. Okay. He's that done it. Really he's matter. done it for a, he's done it for a while. That's that seems fair. Yeah. I was almost thinking Pedro Stanton. Alvarez. What's Pedro Alvarez doing this year? I think he's doing a little worse. He's making more contact, but he's aiming for less power. I think. Okay. All right. Well, let, yeah. Let's well, say Stanton. That seems fair. Yeah. We'll take Stanton also because this isn't important. But so we <laughs> we take Stanton. He hits home runs a lot when he's in in or around peak physical shape, which which he is. So I think many of us have seen most of him naked. Um, <laughs> Mostly, mostly through the, the one avenue, but um, perhaps others have seen. So, if you take Stan, he hits home runs uh, once every, I don't know, few games when he's around ninety-five, hundred percent. Now, now you start, you put him on a hunger hunger strike, right? And then he doesn't eat for one day. He's probably, he's probably all right. Like he can draw on reserves. But how many days do you think Stanton could go without eating and still be capable of hitting a home run? Against a major league opponent. Hmm. How many? How many days? Now is he allowed to drink water? Uh, well, yeah, yeah. Water's fine. No beer. No fasting. Just water. No beer fasting. Hmm. Just water. I would say, Giancarlo Stanton. I think could. I, mean, I would start with a week. Is where I'd start. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's where I'd start. Because after a week, I mean, I've never gone a week without eating. Certainly. I even like no, maybe even less than that. But he's so strong too. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a big it question. Is, yeah, it's uh, and then you get into I like you would you would have still the physical capability of hitting that, but then you have the concentration and uh, and how well he'd be able to focus. I don't know what happens to the vision after week. And I guess he he might be the player who could come the he would be capable of hitting a home run while being the closest to death of any yeah. Of anyone in the majors. Yeah, Maybe. I think that's probably true. You know, yeah. I was actually, actually... We should send him an award. You should probably let him know that. Like, we should send him a letter. Hey, you could be almost dead and still uh, hit a home run. Fangrass recognized your talent. The... Uh, I don't know to what how valuable this is, but I do believe that the Algerian national team, uh, many of whom are Muslim, were, I believe, a majority of them... We're recognizing we're uh, recognizing Ramadan uh, while mm-hmm. they played their uh, their match this past week versus um, yeah that one team was it Germany? Germany was it Germany I think didn't they just lose to Germany and then they yeah. would have set them up to play France which would have been precisely you know, yeah of course yeah. which would have been crazy especially since uh, I don't know if you knew this uh, I was half surprised to learn it uh, but. Uh, Nine of the ten, or nine, sorry, nine of the eleven um, players who started for Algeria, at least their first matches when I looked it up, uh, were born in France, which is not not entirely shocking, but um, but that's a lot of people to play for one country who were born in a different country. Uh, yeah, that's that's many. Especially since only 
It's actually only one fewer than the number who are playing for France because I think uh, one of the players, maybe Patrice Evra, was born elsewhere. But that, I might be, I might be, uh, I might be lying about that. But yeah, it was only ten out of eleven in France's first game. So that's a different number. I mean, that's you know, it's pretty significant. Yeah. But but, but they seem they played pretty well, regardless of the fact that uh, a certain number of them seemed to be uh, were uh, recognizing Ramadan. I think so. I didn't. I missed that one for whatever reason. But I, my understanding is they, the Algeria, they were kind of getting dominated right by possession, but then they were they were kept in the game until until late by missed shots and by goaltending and whatnot. Is that is that accurate, or am I thinking of a different game? Well, you definitely think of the United States versus. Yeah, that was. That you was, saw uh, you saw that match, I assume. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like most people, I think I kind of scheduled around it just because I I got curious. But uh, unlike most people here, I had so. Some sort of torn loyalties uh, because I'm I'm extremely fond of Belgium and Belgian people and Belgian friends and whatnot and so it got uh, hmm. it got suspenseful got toward the end for uh, for a variety of reasons but that was uh, like I think the way Dave put it when he tweeted it was like a, a Joe Saunders shot out with like 15 base runners and that is kind of what it felt like um, right exactly like, yeah well, had, well shots are sort of the the currency of I mean, I guess, like, to the degree, like, in the way that, yeah, getting on base is the, is the thing that most directly leads to baseball runs. Yeah. Uh, uh, shooting, and in particular, if you can shoot in the box, if you are in the box, that is good. I think those lead to goals three times more often than shots from outside of the box. I think it's interesting to me uh, when – this comes up often in hockey, which is what I watch more than soccer, but if you have a team that badly outplays the other team in terms of possession and shots and stuff, but then the score is still even for a while, or even if the other team wins – you will say, like, oh, that team didn't deserve it. They were just badly outplayed. And that's true, uh, except for the part where the goalies are also part of the team. And I think that that's sort of the equalizer, right? Where, like, the Padres had... The Padres in June. The Padres in June literally had a 40 WRC+. Plus. WRC plus of 40 points, which is 60 points below average <laughs> in June. It's inconceivable how bad they were, and they won 10 games. They actually won more games than a few teams in baseball because they occasionally had just... Like the pitching was was fine, and the pitching sort of plays the role, I guess, in this example of of a goaltender, where if you are mostly bad, but if you have one player who is just outstanding, sometimes that outstanding player is enough to win the game, and also therefore have you deserving of the win because he's part of the team. Is that untrue? I think that I don't know. Do you think that that a keeper plays as large a role in the game as a pitcher? No, 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 no. He doesn't. And for the longest time, I didn't think soccer keepers served any purpose at all. But, uh, <laughs> I mean, I'm sure I there's, yeah, I'm sure there's some skill there. Um, but you know, there's sort of right. I, I yeah, I wonder. I, I wonder if it's maybe in terms of if like if we're making an analogy, if it's more like you know, like if you're going to judge the play of a of like an you know like a center fielder or whatever, because like what you, you probably know this better than I am. Like what percentage of a plays of um, plays that are like you know potentially makeable um, are are sort of the fringe plays or the marginal plays for an outfielder. Mm-hmm. I mean, are, aren't like what is like seven, are like seventy percent of them routine or roughly routine or more than that even? It, it, it seems like more than that, just based on like the inside edge numbers. But I don't have a specific number that I can give to you. Right. Um, 
maybe uh, sort of related to the same thing, but if you think of it in in multiple ways, you have we'll go with the USA Belgium game as the most re- recent example, where it, of course Belgium was like way way better in terms of of getting to the net and and putting the ball toward the net. But so not only was Tim Howard uh, he's seemingly exceptional, even though some of his saves seemed like they were kind of like accidents, but also maybe you have Belgium dominating, but then maybe taking less good shots than they should have, which, again, would be sort of a part of it where they dominated in the most visible way, but perhaps if the whole point is to generate goals and prevent goals, maybe it wasn't actually quite so dominant. I don't know, but, I mean, it seems like it's a a big goal, right? And... Uh, and none of the none of the balls went into the goal for for quite a long time. I don't know. It's just I don't even know where I stand on this issue because it's uh, so much of goaltending, and also in hockey, so much of goaltending ends up sort of being uh, luck. And of course, the teams that dominate possession will be the better teams in the long run, just because that's a, a great indicator. But on an individual game basis, I'm not so sure. Right. I think that I think it's hasty to say a team didn't deserve to win if it wins. You know, hockey keepers always, for me, are among the the absolute most impressive uh, athletes. And I don't necessarily mean in 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 the way that we normally think of athletes, like the most basic skills, like um, you know, like uh, speed or like brute strength or you know, vertical leap. But in terms of um, their their hand eye coordination and their ability to uh, to react. Uh, mm-hmm. They're always shocking to me. Uh, basically, every one of them to me is unbelievable. In, in the same way that um, professional tennis players who are pretty good, who who return serves, I guess you know, especially on the, the men's circuit, just because the men tend to serve harder. Uh, mm-hmm. almost, almost anyone who can return to serve, uh, you know, like in a Grand Slam tournament, that's that's all. That's almost equally shocking to me. I yeah I think that in most sports you can identify something that is uh, mind blowing when you think about it. Like in basketball, it's as simple as oh you're all seven feet tall. That's like I can't I don't even know anybody who's close to you. But wait, 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 and not just that tall, but also like able to like Kevin Durant, right? Like I don't know I, I don't know precisely what his height is, but I've seen like somewhere between six nine and seven feet. And the fact mm-hmm. that he like dribbles like a guard, whereas like uh you know there are people who are that tall but they don't they're not that athletic right yeah uh they're not that coordinated so to have those skills simultaneously is even more shocking yeah like if you watch chris young pitch you're like how did you ever play basketball you look like one of the least coordinated people <laughs> on on the planet you just kind of like and the ball just goes forward and the shoulder hurts but uh i remember <laughs> Like how mass basketball players must have is like such a dramatic overrepresentation of Marfan syndrome, which I guess there was just a player who is like now undraftable because he was diagnosed with Marfan syndrome, and it's like yeah, that's got to be not uncommon for for you guys. Wait, wait, then, which, which syndrome is that? Oh, Marfan I'm looking it up. syndrome is yeah. You look it up. What is it? Oh, yeah, it's a genetic disorder of the connective tissue. Doesn't sound good. Uh, it's no. Uh, it rendered a good player uh, un ungoodable. Who? A good Who was it? For, for, Who? I don't know basketball at all. I just saw the headline, but it's a play for Baylor, who like his career is over now because he was diagnosed with this. Oh, he was going to be drafted, I think. Oh, that's too bad. I don't know. Let's call him like Tim Hoops. Tim Hoops. <laughs> he can't be drafted because of Tim Hoops. Bar. Right. Uh, so, and, and then in baseball, I think that the most incredible thing is like, I don't know. I guess. 
Is it hitting? Is hitting the most incredible part of baseball? Is it throwing like a perfect curveball, or is it a, a suspicious throw from from left field? Or I don't know what. Oh yeah, the just most a single most. Thing. Even I guess if you think of something routine like hitting a fastball for a single is like that's crazy. If you like ever face a ninety-three mile per hour face fastball, like thinking about all the other things that could happen, and then the pitcher throws the pitch, and then you just like hit a routine. Sharp ground ball single. That's nuts. I can, right. Yeah. That's yeah. That's pretty good. Like, uh, like the routine, the blogger equivalent of like, oh, I made a gif and then I like put a paragraph around it. Well, that's pretty easy. Like that's that's a routine <laughs> single. But like literally anybody can do that. And uh, and in football, nothing's impressive. They're all just uh, terrible. But no, in, no, it's in, still uh, impressive. Well, they. But it's more physical. I guess the things I'm uh, I'm always most uh, I'm always most shocked by personally are the things that have to do with response, like response time and reaction time. Um, and here, here are the two things. So, like in soccer, it's all amazing to be able to do that with your foot, right? Like your hands are uninvolved, and then they just do things as if their hands are involved in terms of like <laughs> passing to one another and stopping the ball and dribbling the ball and like sprinting full speed, but dribbling. Accurately and and like the juice, it's I've never really played soccer, so it's out of it's right. Just it's unbelievable to me. But then when I watch hockey, every so often, every so often I'll stop and think, oh right, they're on ice and their <laughs> shoes have knives on them, and then they're just moving around as if they're playing like floor hockey on their shoes. And so, like it's hockey moves so quickly uh, for for anything for for like an airplane, hockey's fast. And that didn't make sense. But then, if you remember that they're also, it's two sports in one, right? Like it's figure skating, and also it's this other sport where you have a thing that is, by the way, a lot heavier than it looks like a puck. It's hard to shoot, let alone shoot with accuracy and height at 100 right. miles per hour. And then, to be able to do all of that on a frictionless surface because you have swords on your feet and then like the referees are constantly being able to get out of the way which is also nuts because say what you will about hockey referees but like they have a very difficult job and that they're constantly being like don't get hit by a player don't get hit by the puck don't fall down pay attention to everybody literally everybody mm. and then yeah right it's yeah just i i think it could just be like this disproportionate appreciation of hockey because i've been a fan for so long but that is just it, the whole thing is unbelievable to me that they can just move around like that on on ice because you know what i tried to do last february with my girlfriend was hike on a trail that was frozen over and you can't do shit when when there's ice on the ground what uh it, is it pretty are there certain players in hockey who are known for their skating ability or is it is it pretty uniform uh, no, there are, and I would say it's uh, to a large extent uniform, but there are faster players and slower players, and there are, there are more agile players and not. But then it's difficult to separate that, right, from players who are good with the puck and players who are good skaters, but maybe not so much with the puck uh, under control. So I would say that you are looking at, like, the top half of 1% of skating ability. I was thinking I would... Um because I know I, I have a friend who's a uh, a figure a female figure skater, and I have a I have a, a plan that's so crazy it, it just might work. Pair her up with a professional hockey player who is fringy, right? But he he won't no team will sign him, and have him start figure skating too. At first he won't like it. 
because he'll regard it as excessively effeminate. But then he'll realize that it's a sport in and of itself. Pair them together, they win the gold medal. How's that sound? They win the gold medal in uh, in figure skating. Yeah. I um. You like that I, well, plan? That sounds like. Well, I mean, I don't, I don't care. Uh, <laughs> but I suspect that if a player isn't good enough, so you're saying that the player doesn't have enough hockey skills, but he's a good skater. That's the idea. Yeah, it's also what I've just told you. I believe is roughly the plot for uh, 1992 romantic comedy, The Cutting Edge. Uh, I believe <laughs> that that was. Uh, that was a little. It was not before my time, but it was a different time during my time. Yeah, right. I would say the cutting edge. Yeah, I was gonna. When you started, when you started that story, you said you had an idea. Where my mind went ahead was, oh, Carson is going to try to play hockey, and I was going to try to stop you. No, no, but no. But I think that you were you're sufficiently wise at this point in your life that you know the things of which you're not capable. No, but I, but uh, but but uh, well, you should see the cutting edge is what you should do. I still haven't even seen Joe and the Volcano. Are you kidding? Joe and the Volcano. Joe? There's Volcano literally in the name. Oh, yeah. Why Yeah. Why have you done that? It's because it's probably a terrible movie. Joe and the Volcano. Joe and the Volcano. Who's, who else is it? Oh, that's with, the, that's with Tom Hanks. Yeah, and, uh, Joe and the Volcano. And isn't... Who's the woman in that? Meg Ryan, I believe. Yeah, that's what I that's what I figured. Yeah, I believe yeah, I believe it's Joe versus the volcano. Joe versus the volcano. Okay, yeah, but see that title that that creates a conflict where no such conflict exists. It's never man versus volcano. It's man with volcano, just. and then sometimes sometimes the man just doesn't quite understand what the volcano is trying to express. The way you said it, Joe and the volcano, it's sort of like it might be like a. Uh, uh, I don't know, um, like an like an emo band from from the early aughts. <laughs> yeah, you know, we I I did a search for this uh, with my girlfriend the other day, but can you believe that at <laughs> present there is no Googleable uh, indie band whose name is Tomato Tomato? Oh, that's interesting. How would you spell it though, just to make it clear to everybody? Oh, you wouldn't. You would spell it to, uh, Tomato Tomato. Mm-hmm. And then people would just know. Oh, well, that's actually the best. Yeah, that's actually the best. It's just that that hipster bullshit that you can you can pull off, and it, it just seems so perfect for like the scene now that I, I just cannot believe it doesn't exist. And I guess you could just go with potato potato, but that's not the expression. Right. Well, no, it is. What is it? Is, it's half of the expression. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think uh, I write potato. You write potato. If you, um, it's if you actually well, if you if you write out. I say potato, you say p- potato. It just looks like I say potato. It's the same thing. We all write the same thing, I suppose, is the is the idea. Well, there's the message. We all write the same. We all bleed the same, man. That's yeah, true. Yeah, yeah. It's actually, was that the message? <laughs> Did you say one love at the end? One love, bro. <laughs> hey, you know what's interesting right now is you're in, uh, I believe you're in Portland, Oregon. Is that right? Yeah, very good. Yeah, and uh, I am in... What I think you could broadly describe, uh, um, but but also accurately describe as the Portland of Europe, which is uh, Berlin, Germany. Uh, having lived in Portland, Oregon, and having and now visiting uh, Berlin, Germany, I think it, there are some serious analogs. One being that uh, my wife and I have been here for a week and a half, um, which is the last week and a half of June. And there has not been a day over seventy degrees. 
<laughs> and I don't know what the weather is like in Portland, but I just remember from living there that that is, summer did not begin until after Independence Day. I'll tell you this much. I'll tell you this much. Tell it I'll, to me. Actually, I'll tell you two things. Tell me. Oh, uh, watch things, out. Two thoughts. <laughs> One of them. Here's a difference. Okay. A difference between uh, Portland and Berlin. Is it the in, amount of German spoken? Is that the amount of German spoken? Well, it's, it wasn't specifically the amount of German spoken. It's just the amount of Germans. Uh, what you find in Berlin is a high, a much higher rate of, of Germans um, <laughs> than than you find here. Uh, which okay, is, sure. Think, it's a stark. It's a, it's it's a fundamental difference between the two cities and the. Uh, uh, but as far as the weather is concerned, because that's what this has devolved to, yesterday, yesterday in Portland was 97 degrees. Oh God! 97 Ooh. degrees. It was, yeah, it was. Uh, I I wouldn't say it was hellish, uh, because I don't think that the ish is necessary. I think that it was, it was a <laughs> like, uh, hell with a view. Yeah, might be a way to put it. Where uh, I I deliberately. I could not be in my own apartment to do my work uh, because I thought that my computer might overheat and I thought that I might overheat and it was a race to see which would overheat first. And so I went I went to my girlfriend's place, which was air-conditioned. Smart. Uh, in theory, but uh, not in, in reality <laughs> yesterday. And so what I actually did was move from a furnace into my, my automotive furnace to sit in a furnace and type on a furnace. And... Uh, and opening the door every so often, right on a hot day, you want to like check the outdoors, be like, oh, I wonder if it's better. Maybe now. things it change. Yeah, <laughs> it doesn't get better. Is the yeah. thing was it, it humid as well or no or what? No, it wasn't. It wasn't like where the World Cup is being played, which, by the way, just gives you like such a greater appreciation for for these players, or uh, perhaps the opposite of that because they're they're submitting themselves to this. But to play in in that kind of heat and humidity is just like. You know, you've been places where I don't know where you've been, but you've been at least like in New England in the summer. Yeah, it's, where it's like, there. what yeah. are you gonna do today? Well, not uh, anything, uh, because <laughs> I'm just gonna I'm just gonna be here and be part of this sofa. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I think New England might be a bit of an advantage. I mean, it does get quite humid there, but most people, are, I think, generally speaking, people are trained to have air conditioning in the summer. Yeah, I think you get to the you get the sort of sweet spot of misery where you're in a place that is typically not that hot and not that humid and then th- that same metro you know whatever that same area experiences a hot spell hot and or humid spell and i think that that is particularly miserable where there's no there's no preparation really it's like you just have like this aerosol adhesive that is just everywhere coating everything. It's like if you bump into somebody, then you're like, well, I guess we're going to be stuck to each other for the rest of the day, so let's just get used to being twins. Yeah. Uh, what, uh, uh, I wanted to make, I wanted to make an addendum. I wanted to make an addendum to one of your comments. No. Oh. Which was, you said. Is that, it about the Germans? Yes, uh, it was. Yeah. You said that one of the, the one of the difference between Portland and Berlin is the number of Germans in Berlin. And that is true. You're right. Absolutely right. There are numbers. However, one way they're the same. I bet they have roughly the same percentage of people who speak English fluently. And I, and that is not uh, that is not, in no way is that is that a uh, a comment about uh, immigrants who live in Portland. Portland. It's the fact that uh, Germans, uh, people in Berlin at least, uh, almost all of them speak English. What do you say? I'm acknowledging your point and moving on from it. What do you say yeah. that? Uh, also, a way that Berlin and Portland are similar but different is that you have two populations that take themselves entirely too seriously in two very different ways. I don't know what the different ways are. Um, there is a there is a youth 
culture in Berlin uh, in which there is uh, which it, when it, it like when rendered in in uh, into prose like or when interpreted by people who write travel guides is um, unavoidably described as quirky and bohemian and funky. There's a lot of funky, wacky, uh, and it, <sighs> <laughs> you're pretty. Would you say you're funky, Jeff Sullivan? You live in Portland. <laughs> you funky? On a 97 degree day, everybody's funky. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, no, I wouldn't. No, I. Uh, I don't have time to be funky. I gotta analyze. Um, yeah, I actually. Uh, I think I was on the street one time, and I heard I heard a middle-aged couple uh, use the word funky to describe the view that they were seeing on Hawthorne in Portland. <laughs> They're like, "Oh, it's so funky! Oh, it's really..." You know. Anyway, yeah, yeah, I can't. I, uh, I, there, so there are indicator words, right, where you can hear a word. I got it. I'm noticing, any, whatever. There are indicator words where you hear them, and I think that maybe you. You start to you make you create an impression of the person using that word just based on using a word, and I think that something that's always bothered me is if somebody says the expression "Oh, cool beans!" Like, oh, cool well, beans! That's, that's, rough. that's the end of it. Yeah, we're that's that's the end of this uh, relationship. Whatever, however we knew each other for however long or how little time, we're just that's the. I hope you enjoyed our our time, and and funky is it's a different sort of term, but I just can't imagine hanging out. With a crowd that would use a word like funky. like funky in earnest, yeah, uh, yeah. Um, hey, hey, uh, I have a question that you're that you're very much allowed to um, to avoid if you want. But I believe hmm. that you were uh, you were your work was absent from the pages of Fangraphs for uh, a certain number of days. I don't know, three, five. What was it? Yeah, I was suspended. You. <laughs> Um, I believe I believe you were on vacation. I don't, was it a, now? Was well, it? A, were you away? Or were you visiting somewhere? Or were you? Uh, were no, you, it was it was a it was a minor thing. My brother and sister in law came to visit Portland for the first time, so it was oh, just yeah. kind of a show off the city, show off the gorge, show off Hood River, that kind of stuff. Right, right. And I'll tell you what I'll tell you what the city didn't do was cooperate with <laughs> weather, not unlike uh, the weather we have today. It was more like, oh, you're coming to Portland for the first time. Well, here's the f-ing essence of the city, right? Here is, but it was. I don't want to just sit here and talk about Portland and, and the weather and, and temperature because that's that's only like half interesting to you and I. But it was uh, a small vacation such that I did not feel so guilty subsequently requesting that I also have this coming Monday off so I can do something something else. Yeah. Now, uh, we, we discussed the word funky, right? Uh, or was it cool beans? Yeah. Was that the other phrase? <laughs> it, was, it was both of them. And there's a few other. Like if uh, people who use I find... People who use "but I digress" in like in casual speech, well, yeah. then that's just that's unpleasant and off-putting. Right. So that's I will create an impression of you as well. Or if people mm-hmm. will use the word "copious," is is uh, troublesome to me. Okay. And How about this? Uh, what about someone who uses? Where does in, ter- in terms of words that might pall on you? Where does staycation mm. rank? Because you <laughs> participated in a staycation, right? It was, of course, a vacation where you spend time in your own city, perhaps better acquaint yourself with it, and maybe a, uh-huh. you're a, um, 
at, at your own at your leisure because you're not working. Where, where mm-hmm. does staycation rank in terms of the the extent to which you might object to a, to a person's entire being, given the fact that he or she has used that word? It's all about the delivery, right? Like you kind of said with funky, there's, you can say staycation earnestly, or you can say like, oh, I guess we're going to have a look, wink, <laughs> stare, staycation this weekend. And you say it in such a way that people are like, oh, you're using the word, but you don't want to use the word. But you actually secretly do want to use the word, but you're not meaning it in like a... Right. You don't. You're you're making fun of the people who use the word by using the word faux earnestly, which I. It's human behavior is freaking complicated, but there yeah. is just that little hint of a change in delivery that can entirely. It's like if somebody's writing a joke on the internet and they either use a period at the end of the sentence or they don't. That period makes a huge difference when you're trying to determine uh, the way that not even necessarily a joke, just a statement, but. Do you have an example it, of that? What do you mean? They use a period. With, you're talking about a person who doesn't use punctuation. Oh, so I guess who's this, this person? Twitter, who's this person right? is not using punctuation. Yeah, it's this is almost Twitter specific because all of the communication is longer than that. But if you have somebody who's making a point on Twitter, you can if you use periods at the end of it, it lends this not only just like gravity and seriousness, but almost this like. I can't think of a better word than arrogance, but like overconfidence in the point, or just being over dramatic about it. Whereas, like, if you don't use a period, it's like I'm just being casual about this, bro. Like, I think that this, it was like the Hobby Lobby ruling was kind of wrong, but I'm not going to have a period at the end of the sentence to like drive the point home that I'm dead serious about this matter. I think this is a problem. It's uh, I shouldn't say problem because it's my own hang-up, but uh, like the way that what about hang-up? Where, where does hang-up come? Uh, appear in the hierarchy of words that you find objectionable. It obviously is fine, and I think it, it also comes up in text messages, right, where, like, my brother will text with periods at the end of sentences, and I generally won't uh, because text messages are not meant to be that serious most of the time, and I I don't want to have a, a serious air. But I don't know if other people read it the same way, but my sense is that they do, and I think that... The kind of okay, the kind of person who uses periods at the end of sentences are the kinds of people who offer genuine hot takes. They're like the John Moroses <laughs> of the world, and it's like I know that you you care too much about what you're talking about. Uh, that's interesting. Um, I will say that for for me, for me, I like a, I like a, and I am. A, I don't think that I don't know if I've ever offered a, a hot take on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> they're all they're all they're all pretty cool. The the tepid tepid at the yeah. the very hottest. Yes, they're mostly tepid. Is what they're tepid takes. Carson Cecilia's tepid takes. Yeah. Uh, um, I, I actually I'm not dogmatic about it. Personally, I will use uh, a period in capital letters. Um, but if <laughs> I re- I recognize that this is not for everyone, and so. Yeah, so much like my takes, which are tepid, uh, my uh, yeah, my my point of view on on that is also equally non noncommittal. Uh, okay, I, here here's a here's the thing. So I'm cutting you off. Uh, yeah, fair I'm enough. Nipping yeah. this in the butt, but I wa- I think I might have sort of an example of this. So let's say you're you're sending in a tweet, and I don't know what. Okay. So here's a tweet, and I'll use the Mariners as an example because, as far as I know, most of the Mariners are still on a roll. Mm-hmm. And so you have two very similar, very different tweets. One says the Seattle Mariners have the s- leagues. Wait, Jeff, 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 come stop, stop, Mariners. Jeff, stop, stop. 
You cut off for a second. Say it. Jeff? Whoa. Jeff, do you hear Still me? Here? Do you hear me? I hear Carson. Uh-huh. You were you cut out, I don't know why, for just two seconds, and we missed a very important part of your statement. So I would like okay. you to return you to me? it. Yeah, I got, you're there. We okay. just repeat it. Go for two it. Ve- two very similar but very different tweets. Okay, and, uh, do it. I yes. believe this is still based on fact. First tweet. <clears throat> the Seattle Mariners have the second highest run differential in the major leagues, period. You don't oh. say it has period. Second I tweet. What, I see what you're saying. The Seattle okay, Mariners. Yeah. Second tweet. The Seattle Mariners have the second highest run differential in the major leagues. And one of them, I think the first one, reads as, hey, you have to take this team's seriously second best run differential in baseball. And the second tweet is just like, hey, here's a thing. Who would have guessed? And so... I do see... I prefer... Yeah. You're illustrating it. I think you're illustrating it well here. And it's just as simple as having that little dot, like that little smudge at the end of of the tweet. But I think that one is an observation and one is trying to make a stronger point. And I don't know if other people read it that way, but I do. Yeah, and it, it, it well, it's all, I think you uh, you might have mentioned this too. I believe it's a question of context as well, right? Uh, there are certain people, and I don't listen. I'm not jealous of, uh, um, and I don't envy beat writers. I think they have a difficult job to do on a number of fronts, right? And one of their job is to take baseball seriously 24/7. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that that would be difficult <laughs> for, uh, for for some people. <laughs> it would be difficult for me because I think part of your job description at that point, right, is to say the Mar- What's the, what's the fact again? Say the fact again. The Seattle Mariners have the second highest run differential in the major leagues. Period. Right. And if I think if you are if you are a beat writer, I think you you have to say that thing with a period at the end, and you are in the place you are tasked with informing the readership of of a fact, right? And then mm-hmm. now as a reader of, you know, whatever publication, you say, oh, look at this. There's second... What, wait, say the fact again. One more time. <laughs> I haven't listened to it once. I just the, Seattle Marin- <laughs> the Seattle Mariners have the second highest run differential in the major leagues. Is that true? Really? Yeah, it's, it's crazy, right? The Seattle freaking Mariners, they're batting Andy Chavez leadoff. Hey, wait, like all the time. Wait, Andy Chavez. Andy Chavez. <laughs> Andy Chavez. Yeah, he. I don't know if he is. He's at least one of the last remaining expos, if not the last uh, remaining expo. And he's 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 there, and he's betting leadoff. And the crazy thing is, the crazy thing is, while he shouldn't <laughs> be betting leadoff, he's not even necessarily worse than Dustin Ackley is at this point, which is just a really uncomfortable thing to say. I will tell you something: is that sometimes when uh, I come across a prospect, uh, you you know that you're familiar with the fact that I have uh, I possess undue enthusiasm for marginalized baseball prospects. You're aware, and of that. yet somebody had to compel you to write about Jesse Hahn. Like you didn't just come up with that <laughs> on your own. The point being, the point being that. Uh, I have uh, certain biases in place that may or may not have any real grounding in reality. But uh, one of them was employed today when I was looking – I was thinking of considering for uh, the weekly column I write for Fangraphs.com, Fringe 5. I was considering uh, Christian Binford. Christian Binford. Are you familiar with Christian Binford? Of course not. I'm not familiar with any of these players. He's a high A player in the uh, – he's he has not – he did not walk anyone in the month of June. 
Uh, you think he had like 28 or 30 strikeouts, uh, and he had zero walks over was four, he facing f- the four or five starts. No, he was facing high players, and he's only 22, and so that's you know, uh, you know, age appropriate. He throws he throws above 90 miles per hour. So all these things together, you say, oh, this is a reasonable prospect. But then I found yeah. out. Then I discovered that he is. Well, no, I did not discover. I was reminded that he is a Royals prospect, and um, I, I don't know precisely why. But when this attached to me, it was like a it was a negative adjustment that I applied at that point. Yeah, I well, thought because they, they've had at one point they had like four or five legitimate pitching prospects, and then uh, zero of them materialized. Yeah, uh, and now they have uh, Jordana Ventura, who I guess doesn't tip at strip clubs. And oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, I guess I guess Ventura <laughs> is the exception, although he he rose through the ranks quite rapidly. But he was yeah, not he, part of he, that like Montgomery and Lamb and uh, I don't know who I don't forget who else was part of it. Was Odorizzi? Was Odorizzi one of those guys? Yeah, like they're all Roy- or Rays at this point. <laughs> but uh, and oh, I guess going back there's like Dan Cortez and. Uh, that goes back a little further. I think he I'm was. Still a, no, he's Zimmer. from MTV. I think Dan Cortez was a host on MTV. He was also on The Real World at some point. Um, but then, and then, it, but it also happens with Mariners, in particular, Mariner infield types who exhibit uh, above-average plate discipline in the high minors. Typically, oh, this is a at sort Chris of Taylor. Well, okay, so high typically, yeah, yeah, precisely because typically this is sort of prospect like player profile about which I am very enthusiastic, right? Like Mark Sem- Marcus Semien last year in the White yeah. Sox organization, like demonstrated pretty good th- uh, numbers along these lines. Uh, I'm trying to think like, oh, I, I'm a big fan right now of Jose Ramirez, who's only 21, and uh, he has walked and struck out the same amount of times at AAA, and he's also hit five home runs in 200 plate appearances, which is not crazy great, but he's a 21-year-old at AAA, so that's fine. But – Yes, when Chris Taylor's doing it and when Ty Kelly's doing it, especially after previously both Nick Franklin and Brad Miller did it and two players who subsequently have had, I think, pretty miserable 2014 seasons, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and, of course, Dustin Ackley exhibited that same exact skill set at a point at an earlier date. I'm suspicious now when I see a player who... Uh, who meets those? Who, who meets those criteria and is in the Mariner system? Yeah, and that's valid. I think the the running joke is that it doesn't matter who the Mariners get because they'll just Mariner in it, Mariner it, and then they just and the the exception being Kyle Seeger, right? Because he came up with like very little hype and then he became what Dustin Ackley was supposed to be uh, so far. And right, so it's yes. not like they ruin everybody, but it just and you know like Brad Miller has had a really awesome like last month and change, and so he's maybe turning it around. But yeah, no, it's 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 totally justifiable, and it comes up every so often when I think of of organizations and I think of front offices, and I'll pose this to you because I know it's true for me. But if you if you take two hypothetical trades, and one of them involves, say, like the, I don't know the who's a generic team, like the I don't know the Brewers, they they're neither they're yeah sure neither like reasonable. they're yeah. neither brilliant nor dumb. So you have the Brewers, and you have the Brewers trading with the Rays. And then you have like the same players somehow involved in the Brewers trading with the Phillies or the Royals. And do you think differently about them instinctively just based on who that other team is? 
Because I know, I think that I do. Yeah, I think there's, I think, I think it's difficult at that point to ignore the context. Like, when it involves Friedman, or maybe in the last couple of years, like if, if Jeff Lunau, 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 how do you say it? Lunau? Uh, Lunau, I think. Lunau, if you say Jeff Lunau, what do you know him? What are you friends with Jeff Lunau? It's Jeff. Hey, hey, other Jeff. You guys call each other other Jeff. This in our in the uh, in the climbing group that I go like rock climbing group I go to. There's there's I'm tall Jeff, and we have we have Asian Jeff, and there's also I found out there's Polynesian Jeff. But the first time I heard Polynesian Jeff, I thought it was tall and Asian Jeff, and I thought, <laughs> well, then we're running. We should really have other identifiers. Uh, does that is that nice to be part of a climbing group like that? Do you do you, is it nice to feel like you're part of a community? It is uh, almost invaluable given what I do for work. <laughs> for like both the physical activity and also like the oh people uh, exist and right, they're right. outside. Do you get a, do you get along with them reasonably? Well. Uh yeah no that's how I know that's kind of my Portland network at this or at least a lot of it at this point is you know you just go out you do something you do it for long enough you get to know the people right and then those are the people that you know for forever and Until you are, die then you run out of time for other people yeah. You know, I think maybe, I don't know if we've talked about this before on a podcast, but I think one of the signs of maturity in adulthood is that seeing friends becomes more of an obligation than actually something you want to do on a regular basis. Yeah, there's so I, many of them sometimes. Right, right. And well, another problem is about, about getting older. And at 34, I'm not very old, but, you know, I'm an adult. And a thing that happens is <laughs> I... I just the the prospect of meeting new people is it it's it's not that I don't it's not that right, I like having friends and I like having made friends but the prospect of like having to sift through new people all of whom all of whom any of these people they could all be great people in their own right and you know vir- entirely virtuous but it's I you know it's also clear that that I have developed as an adult, certain tastes and just know that I will get along with certain kinds of people um, better than others and just to, have to like find all that out. Like I went to a party the other night. It was like a friend's birthday party and there were a bunch of people there, new people, and I was there with my wife. I just thought, you know, what are we doing here? What's the what's the best case scenario out of all this? Because <laughs> we're never going to see these people again. They live in Germany, you know, and maybe we'll be back in Germany someday. But these are not going to be like blood brothers, right? Yeah. So I just thought, ugh, whatever. So I had some wine and uh, I, you know, I scratched the dog a little bit because uh, there was a dog there, and uh, that was it. Went home. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You kind of stopped worrying about the impressions you make. Oh well, that's yeah. That's a certain. Yeah. You gotta abandon that pretty early because yeah, because you don't get any prettier, you know. <laughs> well, good news as a as a male uh, is some would argue that you do. Maybe you don't, but on average <laughs> you do. But I remember, I mean, even I've kind of had the I've taken some strides forward in terms of trying to get to know people because when I first moved to Portland, I didn't really know almost anybody, and I I worked from home, and so I was almost anti. Uh, anti-pro-social, which isn't the uh, thing that people say, but I remember being in a bar setting years ago with a number of people who were friends of, mostly friends of my significant other, not of not of my own, but it was an opportunity to get to know people, and I wasn't having it, and so I left and I slept in the car for two hours until my significant other was also ready to go home. 
And that is an example of of antisocial behavior and not it's not pro making new friends behavior, I don't think. I don't think you make <laughs> new friends leaving a bar and sleeping in your own vehicle until somebody knocks on your window and startles you. That would be uh it's not the best no. No. Yes, it would not. It's yeah. a great way. It's a great way to meet police officers who are at inquiring whether or not you're drunk. <laughs> it's a very good way to do that. It's one of the one of the best, as a matter of fact. What neighborhood are you in now in in that in that city? Same as always, Northwest. Well, not same as always, but same as. Oh yeah, right. Same as regular recently. always. And here's a okay. I have a, a question. Have you ever spent time in the Southwest besides going to spring training? The southwest of Portland? The southwest, oh, yeah, the southwest of... Because <laughs> you literally just said northwest. <laughs> the southwest of, of the United States. Yeah. Uh, have I ever gone there except for spring training? Um, no, I, uh, I don't think so, no. Okay. Well, I'm still going to go into this because at least you've been to Arizona. So you oh, might so, get sir, some. I've been to... T- no, I did visit Tucson and then Bisbee, Arizona for a couple days. Okay. Well, Bisbee probably doesn't fall into what I'm going to talk about, but we'll go with this. I've never heard of Bisbee before, but maybe that's why people <laughs> mistype Grant Brisbee. So, I was expressing that I I feel I go home a couple uh, home for me to San Diego, and I go home a couple times every year, and I I no longer I never really felt comfortable in San Diego, and I feel a lot more comfortable in the Northwest. But when I go back, or when I go to Arizona for spring training, there's always this profound culture shock to me getting off the plane, coming from what I know here, and then going to what I know there. And I can distill this into what I think sort of gets at the heart of it. I was down in San Diego a couple weeks ago. The Mariners were in San Diego. There's a beer festival I wanted to go to. And I happened to be at the actually the first Padres home game after uh, Tony Gwynn's unfortunate passing. And so I was, I was you know, like excited and also sad for the occasion. But I remember standing in line for a beer at the game. And uh, I waited a while. It was at a Stone. Stone had a tap room in Petco Field, which is awesome. Uh, Stone Brewing. Yeah. yeah, I waited a while. I got a beer from the the bartender. S bartender. I, I guess there's no gender identifiers. Bartender. Here's a, a, a nice lady, young lady from, from the lady yeah, bartender. Lady, lady bartender <laughs> and the uh, bra tender. That, that's not good. No, no. And no so no. then I left. I left the bar and I went to wait in line somewhere else uh, because the thing you do at baseball games is spend money and, and wait in line. Mm-hmm. And I was waiting in line for some uh, uh, Mexican food, and a man pulled up behind me, and he was a uh, Short of me, like most men, he was wearing like his khakis and his his like golf polo, and he had his sunglasses like on his head, and he, he was kind of tan, is like tan in the way where it's like you're as tan as other people, but you're obviously a Caucasian, but you <laughs> probably like you probably like to golf, and that's just something you do. And he he looked the part, and then he sort of he briefly engaged me in conversation first about like oh how's the line, and I was like oh line's not really moving whatever, I wasn't in a hurry, the podges were hitting. And then, well, he, you better uh, hurry up then because <laughs> well, no, after that, waka waka. After that, the Mariners were hitting, so it was really just like I'm going to be in this line and then we're going to go home. And so the, he uh, he noticed my beer and then he's like, "Oh, were you just at Stone?" And I was like, "I guess you're going to talk to me." Yeah, I was just at Stone. He said, "Oh yeah, I was just there too. It took for for F and ever to to get a beer." Yeah. Like yeah no it took a while too when I was there and it's like there wasn't even a line he was he was clearly more upset about it than I was and he was like uh, yeah yeah it's just like I don't know I guess maybe they should like have some help or like it's just I you should never have to wait that long for like that beer and then paying that much it's like it's r- ridiculous or whatever he said and then I was like yeah well, totally and then I looked away and then he kind of looked away and minded <laughs> his own business maybe he looked at his phone and call it I don't know fifteen twenty seconds later then he, he perks up he looks at me and says she had the finest ass though. 
so I'll give her the benefit of the doubt or something. It's like, what do you, what do you say to that? <laughs> what compels a man to to say that to, to confide a total that into a stranger <laughs> in, in line and yeah. like, like a. You notice people when you're going around. You, you notice things about, like, on most strangers that you see during the day, and you think, oh, that's what that person looks like. You just kind of notice <laughs> it and you move on, because it's just fun to, like, observe. But I can't, I can't <laughs> imagine having the impulse to be like, oh, by the way, that lady who gave you that overpriced beer, yeah, her ass was fantastic. I would yeah. like to have sex with her and most specifically her butt. It's like, well, why would you? I can't imagine, like, uh, I was. I wouldn't say I was like, like upset more than I was. I was uncomfortable because at that point it's like, well, this line isn't moving. I'm just going to be in front of this man for the next like ten minutes. Yeah. yeah. This conversation is going to end at she had the finest ass. Like, there's no follow up to this. Hope I'm yeah. not going to engage you. So I just kind of looked at my phone and then stopped paying attention. But it's the kind of thing. It's a strange that I can, choice. I can very easily see that experience being replicated in like San Diego or Anaheim or Phoenix or just, you know, parts of this in my head. It's like bro culture. And then if I if that were to happen in Portland, this is maybe going too far, but my sense is that not only would a man not say that to another man in line, but he might even return to the bar and apologize <laughs> to the bartender for having even entertaining his private thoughts. And then <laughs> But then the bartender wouldn't be wearing revealing. It's just it's this whole web of like yeah. this opposite behavior that I can't I can't relate to. I can't relate to that sort of. I don't even I don't want to identify it as misogyny, but it's just. It's I don't a, know. I don't know if I'm becoming like a soft softy or feminist or what. But it just it made me very uncomfortable. Even though I think that's kind of behavior that is common down there. <clears throat> It, that's a I, that's a strange that's a strange thing to say. If if someone had said that to me, I was thinking when you, when you said, I said, oh, what would be my reaction? If the guy said that she had the finest ass, though, I would be like, yes, that is a, one of the body parts. <laughs> it's one of them. I, if I could go back, if I could say anything, yeah. I think that what I what I would have wanted to say was, well, it's not as good as yours. Yeah. Just, to see, like, just to see what that would do, uh, but I didn't. Think, I didn't think of it at the moment. I probably didn't have the balls to say it in the moment. No, that anyway. would be a lot I to offer because you, at that point you just don't want to be involved anymore. No, like that's, that's it's an indicator word, right? But it's a sentence. It's like, oh, right, you you said that, so now we're not going to say anymore. Like <laughs> we're, this just isn't going to go anywhere. But yeah, that would have been that would have been fun for social science reasons, but I, I couldn't do it. You know, I was going to ask you. Uh, until I realized that the game is actually going on right now. I was going to ask you, with Johnny Cueto facing those same San Diego Padres who you've uh, recently invoked, um, what, uh, how one might go about, well, I guess it, regardless of the matchup, this is, you would do, always do this in some way, how one might, one might go about calculating a, the odds of a perfect game. Johnny Cueto has allowed the fewest base runners uh, per batter, and the Padres have produced the fewest. Have also produced have produced the fewest base base runners uh, per batter of anyone in the majors. And mm-hmm. uh, what's the what's the what's the at any given point like? What's the if you were to estimate what's like the ceiling for the odds of a perfect game? 
Are you asking off the top of my head or how to calculate them? Because how to calculate, you would just, what is it, like the odds ratio or log 5, whatever you take? If you wanted to do it the simplest way, take like Quato's on base percentage allowed, then you use the Padres on base percentage by like pitcher handedness or whatever, and then you just kind of, you figure out what is the expected on, what is the expected rate of batters getting on base in this game? And for that matchup, it's probably like, I don't know, 2... 40 or 260. Or, I don't know. Maybe that's too low. But and then you just raise. No, that I don't think it's. I don't think it's too low. I think it. I think it's fine. Maybe that's exactly correct. Yeah. And then you just raise it to the power of however many batters are left in the game. So you know, odds of a perfect game is the odds of a batter reaching raised to the 27th power. Right. Um, which is. But I mean, here let's say let's call it. Uh, you have let's say 75% chance of an out. So, let's raise that. To 27 consecutive outs, and then I'll just, I'm gonna walk you through this math, and then you multiply that by 100, so you end up with a 0.04% chance of a perfect game, roughly, which would be one perfect game for every error in formula. Every 24 starts, <laughs> which, wait, that can't be right. No, I did that wrong. That would be, that'd be uh, incredible. One per 2400 starts, roughly, which is a better way to put it. Yeah. But still, that is, uh, a far lower, like if you take a, what, a 300 on base percentage, mm-hmm. and then uh, use that as the expected, and you would then find one perfect game on average for every more than 15,000. Oh, wow. And oh, so, so it's, it's a, quite an effect. Yeah, it's a considerable difference between like an average pitcher and then like Cueto and the Padres, where it's never likely, but it's like seven to eight times more likely than than you would have for somebody else. Even like 300 is still like... A pretty good pitcher and a a pretty bad lineup. Right. The uh, well, in any case, uh, he did not have a perfect game, uh, in in insofar as he's allowed eight base runners over five and two thirds. Oh, that's that's many. That's, yeah, that's in fact, many base runners. Uh, Tyson Ross, uh, meanwhile, has allowed only uh, one hit uh, over six innings. Um, he's playing the part of Johnny Cueto today, and the Reds are, <laughs> the Reds will. I maybe everyone just switched uniforms for the game. Uh, well, I think that you could tell that Tyson, uh, uh, Tyson Ross is sort of underrated, but also interesting in that he's very difficult to hit, but then he doesn't generate foul balls. And I don't really have this research down cold, but he, uh, he gets a lot of whiffs and then of the remaining swings, balls in play. So I think that he sort of underachieves his strikeout rate and he gives up a few too many hits. Are fouls but, a uh, skill? Are foul, inducing foul I balls a skill? I don't know enough. To know, but I think that there's something like Phil Hughes generates a ton of fouls. I think Jake Odorizzi had an inning this year where he got like 15 or 16 fouls, which is just crazy number. So Odorizzi is also up there. But is uh, it? But fouls? They seem to me, uh, if just thinking about it without uh, knowing anything else, it, it's a sort of they could be a um, positive or negative because maybe these foul balls are pitches that. If it's someone who's more talented, they would have been swings and misses, and there wouldn't have, there wouldn't have to be so many of them. Yeah, so there's contexts where you want to foul, which is when there's zero or one strikes, and then with two strikes, you you know kind of prefer the not not the foul, and so it's a very difficult anal- thing to analyze because unlike like a swinging strike, that's what you want, that's always going to be good, um, and a foul gets more complicated. But it's still interesting to see why, or at least to try to see why people generate fouls or why they hit them. I think I remember Adam Dunn hits a lot of foul balls. Really? Uh, I don't know if he, I don't know if he does that anymore, but he used to be I think the leader, the league leader in foul ball rate uh per swing. I want to know more about fouls. Me too. But uh, but you, 
of the two of us, I think you're more well equipped to to uh I think I'm I'm well equipped to post something and then have MGL read it and be like, Well, why did I read that? That was stupid. Here's how you should do that. <laughs> do you run stuff like, well, by him? No, I, I don't, but oh. uh, the internet does, and then that is unpleasant. Wait, uh, did you just swear? Did you just swear? What? No, not did this you, time. you didn't just say sh- No, unpleasant. Oh, okay. That's what I said. Alright. Uh, it's an un- I try, yeah. I try and bleep out, cause we're, we're not, uh, it's, we're not listed as explicit. Yeah. I also, personally, I find, um, the censored noise, uh, to be amusing. <laughs> yeah, when, uh, when you sparingly. Oh, here's a fun fact. Uh, changing real quick, just to note that in, in May, this May, the Padres had a middle of the pack offense at a 700 OPS. I'm looking at baseball reference. 700 okay. OPS. Perfectly fine. Sure. In May. sure. Then in June, it was 492. You know, like the year Columbus set sail minus the thousand. And so, <laughs> that was very bad. That's 200 points worse, and that's month to month. Yeah, how did that, that happen? Insane. What happened? Like, did anything the Marlins, happen? Uh, what happened is they, they played more, uh, and they were bad. And I don't, I can't think of like I think that they signed Seth Smith to the the weird extension because he's the only like they thought oh we could use some hitters well we have literally one <laughs> here that we already have let's give him some money to not abandon us because somebody needs to like captain this wait can I ask some naive questions about the Padres because I don't Please. follow them day to day yeah where is Jed Jorko. Jed Jerko, I believe, is hurt. He's in a walking boot at the moment. Okay. Where is Chase Headley, who's been, like, probably a five-win player at one point in the past? Uh, he, I would say that he is currently, uh, featured in what I would say is an above-ground burial. <laughs> That's not, is it, is that as, is that as trashy as, a, as an above-ground pool? <laughs> <laughs> he had an above-ground pool growing up, and it was okay. Uh, it attracted <laughs> raccoons in neighborhood cat fights. <laughs> and Chase Headley currently has a 607 OPS. Apparently he's being heavily scouted by the Yankees, but I cannot imagine the scouts are returning pawn. Well, uh, yeah, 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 all right. Uh, and then, um, who's like another play? Do they, do they, does Yasmani Grandal play for that team? Uh, he does, and he, uh, he sure does, uh, he sure does play for that team. <laughs> He's a it's it's a very it's a bewildering team and it's it looks familiar to me. I think that there there are parallels between these Padres and versions of like the the Royals and the Mariners we've seen where you have like Grandal, Alonzo, Jerko, Headley, Mabin, uh, uh I don't know, other guys. Like people who were just supposed to hit and then they just they don't. They just kind of stop and it's bewildering and you think, well maybe there's something systemic or yes, that's or what maybe, I think. Yeah, and I think it too. But then you have these weird exceptions like Kyle Seeger can hit. Or like I think Lorenzo Cain has become pretty good in Kansas City. Or like, oh, Seth Smith is hitting. He's the one. Or like Tommy Medica is a guy on the Padres. And he has some some hits, which separates him from the rest of the team. And so it's just, it's so difficult to figure out because you think, well, maybe they just need, like what would Mike Moustakis have been? The most perplexing thing to me uh or I shouldn't say the most because that's the universe. One of the perplexing things to me is you take uh, a draft. Uh, the one that comes to mind always for me is like the Mariners took Jeff Clement, and then Jeff Clement washed out. He never became anything except. But he was a he huge did. hitter in what college? Huge hitter in college. What happens if the Mariners draft Troy Tulowitzki and like somebody else drafts Clement? They ruin him. What happens? <laughs> what, happens him. what happens if 
if the the Cardinals have Mike Mustakis instead of the Royals this whole time? What is Mike Mustakis today? Because it's, how much can we really really analyze like a drafting team and the scouts when so much then like if people agree on a guy's talent, to what degree was Dustin Ackley destined to bust, and to what degree is it something the Mariners did or something about the environment and his teammates? Well, it's actually, so hey, wait, wait, come to uh, interesting thing because when you said Jeff yeah. Clement, I thought you know because you were you you named three teams. Padres, Mariners, and Royals. And when you said Jeff Clement and how he busted for a great college hitter, uh, but mm. busted for the Mariners, to me, in my head right here, my head that I'm pointing at, but you don't care, <laughs> uh, my head I said, I, the Royals, the Royals selected one of the best college hitters of the decade in Alex Gordon. Well, here's something I didn't know, but it is a f- true fact. Alex Gordon was selected the one, the pick right before, uh, yeah, he was selected to pick right before uh, Alex. Uh, wait, Jeff Clement. That's what I'm trying to That's, say. It yeah. was Alex Gordon number two, Jeff Clement number three. And guess what? Mm-hmm. Alex Gordon. Well, Alex Gordon's strange, right? Because he's actually become a really good major leaguer, but not in the way you would have expected. Right. He like he he came up. He hit a little bit. Then he had. Then he really badly struggled. He kind of did the. the right, and that was where you thought, thing. oh, this is this is the Royals. It's just the Royals. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and then he got good and like unusually super good at, at defense, um, in a different position than the one he was he was supposed to play. So like Alex Gordon has developed in a way that's only somewhat the way he was supposed to develop. But at least he's worked out, which is better than you can say for so many of the other ones. Right. Right. And, yeah. Uh, and Jeff. I feel like that that would have been a much better example than Lorenzo Cain. What are you thinking, Jeff? At least Cain's kind of hitting. Yeah, he's doing fine. Yeah, he's doing fine, but but you're true. You you do become suspicious. We've talked about some of these biases, yeah. Uh, and you know, perhaps they're founded. There's some uh, some reason to believe them. I like I always think. What what about what about Johnny Giavatella? However you say his name, Giavatella, Giavatella. Yeah. What if he played? Because he's always he always puts up such great minor league numbers. I always think, yeah. what if Johnny Giavatella played in a different system? Like, what if the uh, he's going to end up on the Rays? I mean. And the Rays, he's going to turn him. They're going to turn him into all-star second baseman. Well, I mean, Tommy Lastella has got a 360 OBP in the National League. Yeah, that Tommy Lastella is good. You, you know, when you think about when you're talking about teams that make relatively neutral trades, I would have picked Atlanta too. Maybe, mm-hmm. maybe slightly above average. I don't know. I can't think of any off the top of my head. They got what? They got they have Mar- who got Martin Prado? Where did Martin Prado? He plays in Arizona. Yeah, because they yeah, got Chris. Uh, not Chris Tucker, because Chris Tucker's a, um, an African American comic actor. <laughs> <laughs> they got someone, Chris, uh, Chris Taylor, Chris Chuck Taylor. There's Chuck? a th- who name the third baseman for the Atlanta Braves right now. Just name him, Chris Johnson. Chris Johnson. Right. I bet you've written yeah. about him because he has a historically high BABIP at some point. Yeah, I wrote about that a year ago, and I think since then uh, he's been not good. Uh, I'm not. I'm not absolutely. Oh, here's. Uh, I did not know that there is a Chris Johnson in Major League Baseball who's appeared. Uh, this is too bad. Well, he's a pitcher. He's appeared for the Twins last year with the Pirates. But yeah. it's always fun to kind of compare Chris Davis and Chris Davis and uh, Ryan Bronze. A couple of Ryan, Ryan Bronze. Bronze. <laughs> yeah, one of them. I don't know. I don't know which one of them has a happier life, considering one of them sucked and then one of them, you know, is the. the uh, do you think that the quality of your baseball career correlates at all with the ha- quality of life? Uh, 
Maybe it's, it's a surgery. The, the R squared isn't zero, no. I'll say, but it's uh, certainly not one. I'd actually think that stardom would be an, in, an inhibitor. I think you want to be. I think like you want to have like maybe Bill Miller's career or whatever, where yeah. or I I mean there are a bun- bunch of players probably fill this where you're just like competent for a long time. I uh, think or you're that, there for you're just around till age yeah. forty, and then you're like, oh, like I was pretty good for a long time, and now, but no one's like hounding me. No, I'm trying to like I'm trying to make sense of my own personal professional decline, and I think that as you, I I see less and less appeal in in being really good at something, or at least less happiness in being really good at something. Not that you want your life to be a constant struggle, but if you can just accept adequacy, then I think that that takes right. Well, acceptance is a huge off. part of it. Yeah. Coming yeah. to terms with your with your mediocrity is strong. Oh. Uh, so update on Chris Johnson, right? <clears throat> uh, has produced in over 300 plate appearances this year. Um, after hitting after producing a 394 BABIP last year, has a 369 BABIP this year. Oh, damn! And I know what you're saying. <laughs> well, you're saying damn. I I literally know what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> and I know what that damn means. You're saying that's really high. Still, it's still really high. That's really high. Still. But um, his walk rate has continued to erode. In fact, it's half of what it was last year when it was five, uh, 5.3%. It's 2.4% this year. And he's striking out 10 times more often than he's got about He's got a 25% strikeout rate. So he has a 369 BABIP in over 300 plate appearances, and he only has an 85 WRC+. Plus. That's almost difficult. That's, that's, he is... I, Chris Johnson is, he might be historically unique, but in like this way that people don't want to read about. Like nobody's <laughs> going to be like, oh, it's a column on Chris Johnson. I've been waiting for this. But like this is a man who has two, he has twice as many double plays this year as, as unintentional walks. He's got 14 versus 7. That's two, that's not a good, like that's not a, <laughs> a that's not an analyst's ratio. Like you'll never see that written by like a, a good analyst. But that's like, that's not a ratio that you want to have. No. Uh, as a, what's as a, a yeah? I don't know. I don't even know. I don't ratio? know. Well, I don't know. Well, yeah. What's a, what's a what's a league average ratio? I don't know league average, but I would think if you have a guy who walks sixty times, maybe hits into fifteen double plays. That I don't think on the face of it that would be too bad. Okay. So he's already hit. He's already hit into that many double plays. <laughs> yeah, he's hit into. Well, you know much. those you know those Braves batters always getting on base in front of him. Those those Uptons, and uh, yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, listen. Yeah, I've had, I've had you on the phone for a while. And uh, it's closing in. It's uh, 11:30 here in Central European time. Um, we, you have a column to, to sort of do. Oh, uh, God. Yeah. And then another one, right? Because I have to write for Fox also. Oh, you do? What do you? What are you? What are you writing about for Fox? Jeez, I don't know. Baseball, some baseball. You should write about Chris Johnson. You want to get Chris Johnson? I don't want. <laughs> hey, dear Fox, middle finger. Take this <laughs> column. This is what you get. Is that you not? Want yeah, it shows you it's, how bad I would be at that. I I don't even recognize. I don't know if that's. Is that interesting? Is it not interesting? God, there th- it is. It's hard. To, Fox is a different. It's a new assignment because it's still it's, it shows up on Fangraphs, and so you're still getting the Fangraphs readers, but you're also getting the Fox readers. And the reason Fox is doing this 
is because I think they want analysis of things that are like relevant. And Chris Johnson, no matter how good he is, no matter how good his team is, will never be relevant in like the public conscience. What if it's his birthday? So, what if it's his birthday? <laughs> what if it's his best birthday performances in the history of Chris Johnson? I think that we'll I'll probably end up doing, and this is Dave's suggestion, is looking at James Shields because James Shields, ever so quietly this year, has been only okay. And I got a, <laughs> a question, a question in my chat that was like, if the Royals make uh, the playoffs this year, does that justify the James Shields trade? Because like that wasn't that kind of the point of it. And I right. sort of get what the question means, but this year, just in terms of like raw runs allowed, James Shields has actually been less helpful than helpful. Uh, more unhelpful with whatever. You know what I mean? I He's given up like 58 runs in like 110 innings or something, which is, it's not awful, but it's too many for a guy like James Shields. So if the Royals make the playoffs, probably it will not be in large part because of the guy that they traded for to try to make the the playoffs, which yeah. is interesting. But what's Wade Miley now, doing simultaneous to that? What's Wade Miley doing is I think Wade Miley has started to strike that. Am I am I wrong about this? Is this, are his strikeouts? Up? Wait, no, strikeouts Wade Miley. No, I'm talking about Wade Davis. Wade Davis. Were you talking about Wade, Wade Davis? Miley. I was talking about Wade Miley. And <laughs> no, I Wade Davis is once again. About, I've asked you about um, Wade Davis. Part of the same trade with the Royals. Yeah. So this and Wade Davis is striking out a lot of batters. Yeah, he's, he's striking out almost all of the batters. Fun yeah. fact I just learned, Wade, Wade Davis's initials are, uh, are WAD or WAD. So I think that, uh, he could, uh, he could go by WAD. Uh, fun fact as well. Uh, this is something I just have to fit in for most podcasts I do. Just as a reminder to the public and to Carson Sestuli, if you never, Sestuli, 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 in case you never knew this. Kyle Seeger's middle name, do you know it? No. Uh, you want to take a guess? I'll give you three guesses. And, uh, here's a hint. Yeah. Look at Kyle Seeger's face and then guess a middle name. Herman. Uh, no. Tiger, Tiger Milk. Uh, is that one or two guesses? It's one. It's hyphenated. It's one. <laughs> no, it's not either one of those, but no. Um, shot put teeth. Uh, no, it's, uh, it's Durr. <laughs> it's a D-U-E-R-R. Oh, that's funny. What, 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 sort of, what sort of name is that? I have no idea. Maybe huh. it's Dewar. I don't know, no. but it's uh, it's Kyle Durseeger. Like, uh, oh, what do, what do you want to give him his middle name? Durr, I don't know. <laughs> you got it. But, no. The uh, uh, I believe I did not know this the other day, but I believe uh, Jordan Zimmerman does not have a middle name. He does have a middle initial M. I believe that he does not have a middle name though. At least I couldn't find it. Well, maybe I'm just going to write about this for Fox Sports. He goes by Jordan M. Zimmerman. And I have not seen any middle name anywhere. That is that is curious. Because I became interested in it for about thirty seconds, <laughs> and uh, it seems yeah. Anyway, yeah. All right, let's. We have to stop. We we need to be done. Say, yeah. uh, do you, do you so have any final say comments? Say goodnight. Is that what you were going to say? Yeah. Do you have any final comments? No, oh, no. This is fun. You're, I like you. All right. That's great, Jeff. That's great. That is. Uh, well, it's been a real pleasure to have you on, Jeff Sullivan. Oh, you had me on. <laughs> that's that's Jeff Sullivan. Uh, what are you? Uh, are you an editor at Fangraphs? You? Uh, uh, I'm a guy who puts stuff on the site. Peter. Yeah. He's a. It's not really called contributor. I don't know what he would be. Contributing editor. Let's call you contributing editor. Contributing yeah. editor to Fangraphs. Jeff Sullivan. Uh, I'm Carson Stooley. This has been Fangraphs Audio. Stick wait. Stick around, Jeff. Always do. That's been Fangraphs Audio. <laughs>